Welcome to Public Health Out Loud, Public Health for the Public. Hi, I'm Dr. Jim McDonald. And I'm Dr. Philip Chan. Welcome, everyone. So today I'm thrilled to bring a guest, someone I met a while ago. We have Anna Bess Moyer Bell from Second Act. And, and Anna Bess, I remember when I first met you, it was a Saturday at South County Hospital retreat. And it was one of these strategic planning retreats that people from the Department of Health get invited to this stuff all the time. Uh, that's quite frankly, you know, just wonderful to be part of the community. It's great. But what I remember was when your group uh, did a, a drama therapy for a group and did this, you know, play, I'm um, talking about the opioid epidemic. It was, it was uncomfortably comfortable. In other words, I saw a play um, that really moved me, that left me with a story that did not have a happy ending, but it was real. And one of the things I remember about the play that, that you not only wrote, but that your team performed was how real it was, how it moved me how authentic it was and just how, how impactful it was. So with that, let's start with, why don't we just talk a little bit about who is Annabeth and what do you do? Hi, thank you for having me, first of all. And yeah, that was, that was the spring of 2016, which is pretty amazing, time flies. I am a drama therapist and then the executive director of Second Act, which is a nonprofit organization based out of Boston, uh, but we serve areas, um, the greater Boston area, all over Rhode Island, um, New York and New Jersey and Northeast Ohio as well. And uh, as you heard, I, I'm also a playwright. And during the pandemic, um, I began writing and filming uh, video work. So I now, I guess I can call myself a screenwriter, something like that. Love it. Well, welcome, Annabeth. It's a pleasure to have you. You know, I was uh, talking to Dr. McDonald here. We spend a lot of time on these podcasts talking about COVID, so it's nice to talk about something else. You know, when I first heard the term drama ther therapy, I'm like, oh, we have a lot of drama here at our state health department. And, you know, because of the pandemic, maybe you can help with that. But maybe let's start off just thinking, uh, asking the question, what is drama therapy exactly? Yeah, great question. I get a lot of people who are like, oh, is it is it therapy for actors? Is it trauma therapy? Is it therapy that uses drama? I get lots of different answers. Um, so drama therapy is the intentional use of theater practices um, to help promote health and well-being and help promote change within an in individual. And the way that I learned drama therapy, the theory that kind of underpins all of the way that I work is called role theory. And it basically states that everybody is made up of lots of different roles and you perform different roles depending on who you're in relationship with, if you're at work, if you're at home, who you're talking to and somebody who is really healthy has lots of different roles that they play every day at different instances um, throughout the day and somebody who is really struggling, maybe they're, they have um, some mental health struggle they've had a history of trauma or illness, um, they tend to get stuck in one role or in a couple roles and have a hard time taking on different other roles that would help them have healthier relationships or you know, keep a job or things like that. Um, so a lot of times drama therapists look at people's role repertoires and try to expand those or really dig into like, well, why do you play this part um, this role this way, or how do you experience this role, you know, the role of the mother or the role of the employee. 
And yeah, and we try to help people kind of expand, expand their roles. Um, drama therapy uses lots of different techniques. We use puppetry, we use lots of metaphors, we use performance, we use role playing, uh, and what other, we use like little um, figurines sometimes, mask making, lots of different techniques, but all things that are taken from theater itself and then placed with a therapeutic um, lens on top of it. Yeah, I know in Anabes, you really get to that word therapeutic and you really begs the question, who can drama therapy help? And I think this is one of the things that to me important to understand, like obviously the first time I was exposed to drama therapy, I was a member of an audience, mm-hmm. um, but it doesn't need to be someone who's part of an audience. And I've seen multiple performances by your, your acting troupe. And, you know, every time I've seen something, I've been moved, but like, who can drama therapy help? Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's a good question. I think oftentimes people think drama therapy or play therapy or art therapy, and it's only for people who are good at the arts or are creative um, or are, you know, children. And drama therapy, like all of the expressive arts therapies, really can be used widely with any population of people. Um, But then we tweak the way we use a technique or um, the way we're interacting with somebody, just like you would depending on who you're treating um, in your office as a doctor, um, depending on what, you know, if they're young or older or what their background is. There's a couple different ways that people use drama therapy. You know, you're talking about performance itself. So sometimes there is a performance element and, um, and that performance is therapeutic or healing or cathartic um, for both oftentimes both the actor or the audience member. And the way that works for the audience member is that when you go to therapy and you, you're sitting in your room with a therapist or you're on Zoom probably now with your therapist, um, you are creating kind of a safe place and it's happening within a certain amount of time, like 40 minutes I get with my therapist. And then you are talking with them and you're usually projecting onto them um, relationships that you've had with people in the past or people that you currently have relationships with. And then through the safety of that therapeutic relationship that you have with the therapist, um, you work things out through the verbalization and talking through whatever issues you have or trauma you've had. Um, but you project all of that, all of those um all of that onto the therapist and then work it out between the two of you. It works the same way in a performance, in a drama therapeutic performance. The audience member watches a play, actors come and go on and off stage. They will identify with one of the characters, either, oh, that's kind of like me and my story, or, oh, that feels like my mom and her, like sounds like her, looks like her. And then they'll project their own personal experience Um, and how it connects to the character or the story on stage. And then through watching the action of the actors and the subsequent talk back that happens after the performance, they then can work through whatever issue or trauma or, or whatever it is that came up for them in watching the performance. Yeah, thank you. Let's maybe even drill down on that a little bit more. So let's say someone you know, had a a loved one that died uh, or Mm -hmm. maybe someone that's really depressed. Talk to us about the kind of the the theory about why 
uh, this therapy may actually help relieve that? How does it, what's, what's the thought process there? Yeah, I think when it's, a, it, when it's more acute, it's actually more helpful for them to have a more embodied experience. So then I would, I would use drama therapy more in terms of like in a group or one-on-one session as opposed to a performance. Thank you for prompting that because drama therapy also works really well in group settings, one-on-one settings. I would say like with a person who is maybe depressed or is grieving and has a loved one that they've lost, using a metaphor or some kind of story with them to talk about the grief or like we could, if we're going to use depression or grief, how about let's take it and put it into a character And what does the character look like and feel like and sound like so they can externalize the feeling outside of themselves and maybe have a conversation with the character. We make a character who is my grief and um, and I'm going to have this this conversation with them. And me as the drama therapist, I could be the character of grief and have a conversation with them. So externalizing that, getting a little bit of distance through metaphor is really helpful particularly for people who are severely traumatized or have severe mental health diagnoses. When you ask somebody to tell you their trauma, usually one of two things happens. Either they completely disassociate because the trauma hasn't been processed or it's too big and it's too heavy and they don't want to relive it in the telling of it. So they just completely disassociate, disconnect, Um, And that keeps them safe. It's actually good for people to do that sometimes, right? It keeps them a little bit safe so they don't relive it, but it makes it really hard to then process what happened. They either disassociate or they they relive the trauma and they get totally flooded with emotions. And for any of us who are talking with somebody or working therapeutically with somebody, When you're totally overwhelmed with emotions, there's no way to reflect on it or process any of that, right? You really have to just wait for that to pass and then try again. So the great thing about drama therapy is that it gives a little bit of distance so we can talk about the thing, but we're, we're not, the thing doesn't feel like it's on top of us while we're talking about it. One thing actually I did with a client who um, had lost a child to a drug-related death was I had them draw a a cemetery. And in the cemetery, there were all of these stone um, heads. On the headstone, I had them draw or identify something that they had lost, a person that they had lost, a relationship they had lost, so that they could just see on a piece of paper all of the loss that they had suffered through their life, which they never, they had talked about lots and lots of times, but never had put down in one place. And so then we used that as a roadmap. Okay, can we talk about this headstone today? Or can we talk about this headstone? Do do we need to like put this headstone completely to rest and we feel like we've processed that? So there's lots of different tools, but really giving the client or the patient a little bit of distance using a creative practice just helps people to self-regulate a little bit better when they're in session with a drama, you know, with an expressive arts therapist, drama therapist. Yeah. So we're talking today to Annabeth Moyer-Bell and, you know, we're talking about drama therapy. So Annabeth, you're the executive director of an organization called Second Act. 
you know, you put theories of drama therapy into practice and you have a website, you know, we are secondact.org. And your mission is to change the way people and communities respond to the impact of substance use through theater and drama therapy. And so why don't we talk a little more about Second Act? You know, what is it? And what does your team do? And one of the things I recall is, you know, before you actually give a performance, you make a therapeutic disclaimer. One of the things you try to do is create a safe space for people. And like one of the things you just illustrated when you talk about dealing with a client where you're drawing headstones. One of the things I really see about drama therapy is you create a safe place for people that's therapeutic, that where they can process emotions that they probably have a hard time processing in other venues. But let's talk more about your mission um, and more about Second Act and, and what is it you and your team does here? Yeah, thank you. We have three different unique programs. So the first program that we've talked most about here, which um, Dr. McDonald has seen before, are, are we call them our prevention plays. So we have a series of original scripts and they are about the human experience of addiction and recovery. Those performances are perf all performed by people that are within the recovery community. So when we say recovery community, we mean people that are in recovery from substance use disorder and their loved ones. So often a cast will go out and there will be you know, two or three actors that are people in long-term recovery and maybe one actor who lost a family member to an overdose or one actor who is the um, son or daughter or father of somebody struggling with a, with a substance use disorder. And those get performed at mostly middle and high schools to give a real representation um, to kids about what substance use looks like and what recovery looks like and what kind of, what are the signs and symptoms of substance use. And then gives them a platform in which to talk about substance use and recovery um, and hopefully kind of destigmatize de and normalize the conversation. So the performers perform the original script, the actors then sit on stage for about 20 minutes and talk with the kids and answer their questions. Um, so that's one of our programs, our prevention plays. Uh, the second area of programming is we have a social emotional learning curriculum that follows the five core competencies of the CASEL SEL. It, we use improv games, theater games, drama therapy exercises to teach kids in recovery high schools here in Massachusetts, um, social emotional learning, these core competencies, things like, how do I know what I'm feeling? How do I communicate what I'm feeling? Um, how am I in relationship with people? Uh, how do I create healthy relationship? Yeah. Annabeth, let me ask you this. Uh, I may have misunderstood some of this. If a person has, let's take the substance use example. If a person mm -hmm. is struggling with substance use and is interested in um, drama, drama therapy as a, as, as a means to address this, do you, are they actually in the play or are they a person watching it? They're not in a, in a play. So the people in our performances are people that are in recovery from um, substance it. use. Yeah. Which doesn't necessarily mean complete abstinence, but they're engaged in, uh, you know, in recovery in one way or another. We do have, so our third piece of programming is drama therapy groups. 
their one hour to two hour long workshops with a drama therapist in recovery. And those, they're not performances, but they get to engage in role, you know, role playing. They make monologues, they create small scenes, they do drawings and that kind of thing, more in, of an embodied practice. Um, and all of our programs are all either taught or led by people in recovery, which I really, yeah, I'm really proud you know, of. It, and that really raises another question. You know, second act is a recovery friendly workplace. And I have a feeling that a recovery friendly workplace is a term that perhaps most people just aren't using that term every day. And it may be an unfamiliar term. So what does it mean to be a recovery friendly workplace? Yeah. So what that means for us at Second Act, and I'm sure it means something different everywhere, but for us, it means that we prioritize hiring people in recovery from substance use disorder. Um, so our, our actors, our teaching artists, our drama therapists, our administrative staff, and even our board members um, are mostly people in recovery. It also means that we have built structures within the organization to support people's mental health and well-being and recovery journey. So things that we have built in are, you know, people that work full-time get healthcare. And then we've got this recovery-friendly workplace committee, which uh, is made up of seven people from within the organization, within the administrative staff and the production staff that help us create these policies and structures. Another um, structure or support is that everybody in the organization gets three free drama therapy sessions, one-on-one -on -one sessions with our drama therapists every year. Um, you no know, questions asked and it's fully paid for. Uh, they also have access to a peer recovery coach um, whenever they need it. And if somebody has a reoccurrence of symptoms, like they start using a substance again, or they're having a mental health um, issue, we pair them with the drama therapist and a peer recovery specialist. And we work on a six month plan and we do checkups and kind of rally as much support around them as they need, mm. um, which I, yeah, feels really good to me. And we give, you know, personal days, mental health days, you know, all of the kind of regular type of um, support, mental health support you would see in a workplace. Uh, and then we have once a month, we have drama therapy group and it's open to anybody in the organization. Um, we do some training around suicide intervention and we do craft training and we do naloxone training and things like that. And then we also just have a drama therapist that does work with, with our staff. So we're trying to make it not, not just that we employ people in recovery, but that we are a recovery organization that we are supporting all of our employees within the organization as well as just employing them. And that's really key, isn't it? That word support and being supportive and doing what you can. And it sounds like you do uh, pretty much uh, everything you can to, to assist these folks. Uh, so fantastic. Let me ask you this. How effective is drama therapy? Do you have a sense of, I guess, either feedback from the community, uh, just examples, stories of success? How, I guess the big question is how, how effective is this approach? Yeah, that's a good question. It's very effective. And then, you know, I, I have lots of anecdotes, lots of stories. 
Um, there are lots of also research articles for the, the nerds out there. I am one of them. If they want to dive into how, you know, research studies about drama therapy with different populations. But for us, what I have seen, we, we see a lot of, there's a lot of external and internal effectiveness in terms of the plays, right? Who is, who is the therapy for? Is it for the audience? Is it for the actors? Um, and we always say it's for both. So I'll start with external and I'll go internal. So externally, we often, what we often see with kids is that when they're given a relatable story and then they're given um, actors that identify with this story and self-identify as people in recovery and create a safe space, we get kids as young as I'd say 11 and 12 who will raise their hand and in front of all of their peers say, my mom uses drugs and I'm really scared. And then 10 other hands shoot up and you've got 10 other kids in the room who are ready to tell their story about their experience with addiction. Um, and I've seen kids, you know, kind of like point at each other across the auditorium and say, hey, come find me after this performance. Like, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to support you. You have a, you know, a similar story to me. So there's that kind of stuff. We've, I'll never forget there was a woman at a performance at a recovery center in Pawtucket um, at Anchor. And she watched the play and afterwards she raised her hand and she said, you know, I've been in recovery for many years and my mother and I don't have a relationship and we haven't for a really long time. And I was always, you know, angry with her and I didn't understand what I had put her through when I was going through my, my addiction. And after watching the play, I realized her point of view, I realized what it actually might have done to her. And she said, after 10 years of not talking to her, I'm going to, I'm going to call her when I leave, which was really beautiful and amazing internally, you know, our, our actors, because they're all people in recovery themselves performing their stories that are similar to their, uh, their own, they're processing things that happened in their own life through that kind of that action of performing and reflecting on characters that are, are alike to them. So I like to often talk about Rachel, um, who has been with us for six years, since the very beginning, really. And she came in as an actor because her sister was struggling with a substance use disorder. She played the daughter in one of the, one of the plays because she really identified with the daughter, being a daughter herself and also being the sister to somebody who's struggling with addiction. And she performed that role for a couple of years. And two years in, she came to me and she said, you know, I, I, what I've realized over the last two years is, is that I actually have my own issue with alcohol. And I'm pretty sure I have an alcohol use disorder. And then she went and sought help and we've supported her. Um, whew, makes me weepy. Um, and she now has four years um, in recovery from alcohol use disorder. There also is like really beautiful therapeutic and healing work that happens within the organization itself. And I've seen a lot the last couple of years, we've really moved the needle in terms of how we define recovery and, um, and opening the doors up 
to other people in the recovery community and moving really away from absence-based models and more towards and aligned with harm reduction and all pathways to recovery. And what I've been hearing from our audiences, from the people that we're engaging with and with our actors is that um, they feel a lot more comfortable to be really honest about their recovery. Um, and if they have a reoccurrence of symptoms or if they're not completely sober, whatever experience they're having, having. So that's been a really beautiful journey to watch is that we're, you know, we're all, I think everybody in the recovery movement right now, we're turning this really big ship that's been pointed this one way for a while. Um, and it takes, it takes a lot of courage and energy and intention and support to change how we look at recovery, either personally or within the, the community. So. We've had a wonderful conversation today with Anabes Moyer-Bell of Second Act. Anabes, what is the website? How do people learn more? What's the website for Second Act? Can you give that to us, please? Yes. The website is wearesecondact.org. And second is with a two ND instead of being spelled out. And then you can find us on Instagram and Facebook and all of those fun places at um, We Are Second Act. I, I will look for you on Facebook later on tonight. It's been great talking to you. Wonderful Thank work you. you and your group does. I, you know, I, I will say this, like every time I've dealt with your group, I've left changed. And I like being changed. And I think it's wonderful the way you creatively heal people. One of our traditions of Public Health Out Loud is the final word from Dr. Chan. Dr. Chan, no pressure. What's your final word for us here? Well, thank you, Dr. McDonald. And thank you, Annabeth, so much for joining us. Thank you for all the good work you're doing. Please let us know if we can support you in any way. But thank you. Thank you. And in closing, I want to leave our listeners with a moment of zen to consider throughout the rest of your day. And here it is from Confucius. It does not matter how slowly you go as long as you do not stop. Thank you all and be well. Uh, thank you for listening to season two of Public Health Out Loud. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and follow the Rhode Island Department of Health on social media for updates. Time to thank Stephanie Menders, our executive producer. We also want to thank Carol Stone, our technical director. And I'm Dr. Jim McDonald. Have a good and keep up the great.